When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Everything is Black and White podcast, brought to you by Chronicle Live, bringing you the latest insight on everything to do with Newcastle United. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything is Black and White podcast. Time for a special episode. I'm joined here by Chris Woff. Um, as you may be aware, he is leaving Chronicle Live to pursue um, a new kind of career. Chris, um, we're going to talk through the last couple of years of your time here at Chronicle Towers. Um, obviously, you've been here through what many would say has probably been the most, uh, where the club's been in a bit of turmoil, I think it's fair to say, especially over the last uh, the last few weeks, you could even argue, has been some of the most chaotic. First of all, how would you describe your time in covering Newcastle United in your time here? Certainly never dull, the cliche to do in Newcastle United, but uh, 2015 was when I started covering them first game was West Ham away under Steve McLaren Newcastle were late to the ground and that sort of summed up his tenure really Steve McLaren and they lost 2-0 never really recovered from that position uh, there were some highs along the way obviously Rafa Benitez coming in fantastic to work so closely with him for three and a bit years to see the way that he brought them out of the championship and for that first six months of the championship season even though Newcastle were in the second tier it felt like there was a bright future ahead for the club. Obviously, things haven't worked out as either he or, you could argue, certainly the fans, but maybe even the club would argue as they would have liked. Benitez has now left two years where Newcastle have survived and had positives within those Premier League campaigns as well as some long losing runs. So it's been difficult. Uh, It's been hard sometimes to accentuate the positives as much as positive as Benitez was. And really, the last six weeks have been at times excruciating to cover as I'm sure it it been extremely difficult for fans, well, for reporters as well. It's not been pleasant having to report such negative news and also so little that we can actually give in terms of the direction of the club going forward because there is so little noise coming out of St James's Park. Most certainly. We'll, we'll start with McLaren, as you've briefly mentioned there. When you arrived, there was hope, there was ambition, there was belief that Newcastle you know, maybe could achieve something. That quickly turned into a nightmare and McLaren, would you say McLaren was he was in over his head or would that be unfair? I think that's slightly unfair. I think that clearly it wasn't the right time for Steve McLaren at Newcastle United. He argues, I think he said that himself, that it was the right club, wrong time. Not entirely convinced on that. He's someone who Newcastle had looked at for a while. But I just think the model Newcastle had, I just thought, think it was flawed. And I think that they need to learn the lessons from the past in terms of as we go forward now, as they are moving into the post Benitez era, there's a lot of talk that that the new manager will not be given the same control necessarily over players. The final say on who comes in, so that's yet to be confirmed. But that is my understanding of it as well. And the issue Newcastle have is if they just stick stringently that model of signing players under the age of 25 then their lack of experience. And really, that was the issue that year. Newcastle had a manager who, by that stage, I think had had a few too many failures and was almost beginning to doubt himself 
Uh, a lot of people who'd worked with him when he was at Middlesbrough, a lot of journalists said that it was almost he'd created so many layers that he couldn't, he didn't even know what was the real Steve McLaren anymore. Um, and then you move on to the sorry, then you move forward and and Newcastle now are they going to sign experience or are they just going to go at the age of 25? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that business model, but as Benitez argued and as I would agree, it can't just be too stringent on that. So, do you think McLaren should have been sacked before he eventually was? Do you think had Benitez come in a bit earlier, things would have been different? I mean, I don't like to deal with hypotheticals too much and also look at the back with the benefit of hindsight, but at the time, I think a lot of us were saying, a lot of fans were saying, I do think probably when the first February break, the international break came in, that was the time Newcastle had a three or four week gap, which is where they went, end up going to La Manga, playing Lille Strom in a, in a friendly, mid-season friendly, McLaren convinced uh, the hierarchy that he deserved a bit more time and that things would be better after that. Newcastle, after that break, had two in theory winnable games, Stoke City away, Bournemouth at home. Newcastle only needed a couple more points and they would have survived. So I think that, yes... But that is with the benefit of hindsight, even though at the time I did think that was the case. I just thought that it got to a stage during the winter when McLaren kept on talking about how Newcastle were playing well. And in part, they were playing well in terms of football, but they weren't winning games. And it was essential that they actually had to win matches. And it got to a stage where it became clear that the players had lost faith in him as well. Chelsea away, I've mentioned it before. Jorginho Wijnaldum, who was was taken off at half-time, usually so open, so vocal. I spoke to him for two minutes, and during that two minutes, he gave answers which were one or two words long and basically said, you need to ask the manager why I, didn't come, why, why I wasn't kept on at half-time. Those sorts of issues had arisen, I think, that basically lost the dressing room is a cliche, but I certainly don't think he necessarily had control over every uh, ego within that dressing room at the time. So for you to be kind of thrown into this job everything's looking quite rosy and for them to kind of turn around so quickly so unexpectedly as well I mean how difficult was that for you to get used to because I mean this is a isn't the easiest job I think we can all say that so and at Newcastle everything does kind of turn rather sharpish um how was it well obviously it wasn't a very pleasant experience covering a club that was going through some very difficult times struggling at the bottom of the Premier League, eventually relegated. Even before the uplift they got in the last half dozen games with Benitez, there was the time where he first came in. I remember one of the most difficult moments in this job was when Newcastle lost away at Norwich in a game where they hadn't played well for large parts of it. Mitrovic scored twice off the bench and then it was an injury time goal from Norwich that condemned Newcastle and from that point on it looked like almost mission impossible for them to survive they gave it a heck of a go afterwards and only just went down but basically on the way back we stayed over in Norwich on that Saturday night and on the Sunday we had to get uh, a train then a coach then a train back in Newcastle and the journey was about six six and a half hours and we were trying to file our copy basically within that copy saying about how Newcastle had one step through the trap door under the championship and that was very very difficult uh, to cover it wasn't when I'd come in uh, into the job that September a few games in the season I didn't expect that by the end of that campaign given the squad that Newcastle had I did not think that I would be covering a, a team who were going to be relegated covering a team who were going to be a championship team the season after so there were some very difficult moments there and that season um, 
I think in a lot of ways it was almost like a sort of sink or swim from a reporter point of view because you had to you had to to, to just jump in there and see, see what you could get from it because it was a very difficult time to cover the club but also it was a time whereby once Benitez came in there was an air of positivity and it was that bizarre thing that 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 Tottenham game obviously I'm a football fan in general I've watched football all of my life that Tottenham game on the final day of the season was surreal I'm sure it was surreal for, for Newcastle supporters but for me to be there inside that stadium at a team a club who'd been relegated four days previously confirmed on a Wednesday night when Everton had, had, had meekly lost at Sunderland yet there was that carnival like atmosphere Newcastle hammered Champions League bound Spurs 5-1 and Rafa Benitez uh, was implored to stay that was a surreal moment and really it was almost it was almost, it was almost a complete just juxtaposition to what the whole season had been like and that was the the momentum that Newcastle gained going into the championship season which unfortunately they haven't been able to harness going forward obviously we'll get on to Benitez uh, very soon but with McLaren we have got a, a special McLaren podcast which you uh, took us through as his short tenure here, you can find that over on our website or on Acast or iTunes or wherever you listen through. But just sum up the kind of difference that you saw in him from when you first started here to the kind of few weeks of his of his reign. Well, obviously, that when he, when I first came in, he'd, he'd been there a few weeks. I wasn't at his unveiling press conference where I don't think everyone was necessarily invited. It was a bit of a bizarre situation when he first came in, but he was he was very jovial. Um, he kept talking about he, he kept talking about the things he was trying to change at the club, and it became uh, something that was almost used against him. Was he kept saying about how he, 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 there was now biscuits and tea at press conferences for journalists, which it didn't used to be, and that showed the little changes they're trying to make at the club. And so at first he was he was really pally, and he was always very personable and very easy to work with. But by the last few weeks, he was someone who. Uh, he, he could tell he he felt the pressure. More and more stories were coming out. More and more negative stories. Then there was the infamous final pre-match press conference that he had, um, where basically one journalist with it within the press conference he called out as saying having an agenda, and that really neither nobody came out of that situation looking well. But you could see at that stage that McLaren was looking for a way to fight back. Almost he was trying to create a siege mentality, but it was very difficult for him to do. And I just think by that stage he'd lost authority. He'd lost the belief. Of some of the players, um, and really there was inevitability about the fact that he that he was going to go. And that Bournemouth game, there was the really excruciating week whereby everyone knew he was going to be sacked. Steve McLaren knew he was going to be sacked, but he went to training four or five days in a row until finally on the Friday morning he was dismissed. And really, that that should have come soon, as we spoke about earlier. Earlier, benefit of hindsight, but also at the time, I think a lot of us were saying not not months before but I certainly think that in that national break the February national break was really the time to have changed manager so the most interesting or most entertaining part of covering McLaren's time in charge um, I mean there was the story that I've told before about the time that an away game with with Newcastle uh, Watford it was and and McLaren had given the same answer over and over again over and over again about how Newcastle were playing well and he believed they were going to win and I just took on a one side before the other journalist came across and I just said to him I said look Steve I'm sorry but you're going to have to give a different answer to Dave given the same answer over and over again things haven't changed fans have heard it all before you need to change the the mood here you need to change what the, the the noises that are coming out and he sort of looked at almost a beaten man he ruffled his hair and he just said Chris I know but I can't really I can't really say what's going to happen going forward and it was it was it was difficult to see 
him in that position because you could see then that really it had started to get to him really the answers he was starting to run out of answers and it was a, it was a period where from that point on I did really fear for Newcastle because I could see that that, that really that they were heading down a path towards the championship and um, Benitez didn't have enough time to save them albeit eventually once he got a little bit of a grip of them that, that they almost did survive obviously then Clavin goes Benitez comes in um We'll ask your initial reaction when you first got the call or the message or the, the tip off, whatever, to say Benitez could be signing his Newcastle manager. But I just want to draw a comparison because obviously McLaren there, you never really felt confident um, as time went on under McLaren that when things were going bad, you just wondered how was he still in this job. And you compare that to Benitez, you know, let's not forget Benitez went on a uh, a ten well, didn't win in ten games. Open ten games last season, and still you always believed that it, one result would roll into a second, third, fourth, and things would be all right. Didn't matter how bad it got under Benitez, you always felt something would would be around the corner, which would boost everyone's spirits. And I just find that comparison, and it, it, I think it's been talked about loads. I just find it quite amazing. Yeah, well, some of it's to do with perception. So Benitez had. Um, some credit in the bank if you want in Newcastle he succeeded here and elsewhere whereas McLaren had been through quite a few I don't want to say failures but he'd struggled in the previous few jobs he'd been he didn't have that bank of work to go back on at, at Newcastle and it's also the way that, that you handle yourself in public Benitez is a very calm figure he's got the same message over and over again he's very very difficult to to make him seem like he's going to be flappable whereas Unless he wants to get a message out there, Benitez, he's very good at just straight batting things. McLaren, a little bit more human in the sense that he does show emotion a little bit more and he, he he is a little bit more open about stuff like that. But that also shows vulnerability. So it, it is interesting, different characters, but that's that's the perception that, that they give off and it's almost... About, Benitez has that... Um, presence really he has a presence when he's he's in a room with you and you just there just there is that calmness that exudes from him and the confidence whereas McLaren didn't always give that across so the first kind of wind that you got Benitez could be heading in well I mean my first reaction when it was suggested to me from a couple of people it was reported in, in, in a couple of the nationals before I'd necessarily got wind of it and then then when it was first suggested to me I have to be honest I was extremely skeptical I was going from the point of view of where Newcastle were the position they'd been in Rafa Benitez had been at Real Madrid two months previously, albeit he'd been sacked. But this was someone who, the summer before, his managerial stock was very high. He'd left Napoli on a high. Real Madrid, he'd got his dream job. Um, it had gone wrong there. But did I see him coming at Newcastle in what that seemed to have become over that past decade? No, I was very sceptical. I think a lot of supporters had the same sort of opinion as to how why would Rafa Benitez come to Newcastle United, but he saw it differently. He saw the potential. He saw what Newcastle could be. He'd, he'd been there with Liverpool. He'd felt the atmosphere. He'd, he'd seen the size of the club. And seen as he wasn't going to get a, one of those big six jobs, Newcastle seemed to be the next, the, the, the quote-unquote, for want of a cl- better cliche, sleeping giant of, of, of the Premier League. He saw that potentially. He thought if he kept them up, he could build. He could really progress. So, I was I was shocked, but also excited once I realised that, that there was a real possibility of this, and that he was interested in coming in. And just from that very first day when he insisted on being in the dugout at Leicester, even though he really hadn't been with the team very much, he wanted to make a material difference. And unfortunately, it took him a bit of time to sort things out. Obviously, Leicester went on to be champions. Newcastle lost one nil that day, but immediately they looked more defensively solid. Sunderland game at home, they couldn't win it. 
they're lucky to get a draw in the end, really. And then the, the Norwich game was was the one that killed them, and also Southampton away was a, was a big disappointment. But then they went on that six game uh, unbeaten run, only just went down. And he saw again the potential of Newcastle, what he believed in before it was there, and unfortunately uh, he just couldn't quite keep them up. So talk us through the difference in the press conferences uh, between McLaren and Benitez. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, McLaren was probably more quotable than Benitez, which is a strange thing to say because obviously Benitez, a lot more people want to read what Benitez has to say, but McLaren was probably better with words, whereas Benitez was very much, he either had a message he wanted to get across so he could be very political or he was very straight bat and it would be the same thing over and over again about how we have to believe in the process. We have to keep doing the same things. Uh, if we don't win this week, then we've just got to keep doing what we do every week and eventually it'll come good. So a lot of the time, what Benitez said, I remember a lot of times we'd, we'd come out of a press conference and transcribe it as journalists. And although it had made sense when he's sitting there in front of him, actually written down, it was it was almost gibberish to a degree, a lot of what he'd said. He certainly, a lot of times, even though you thought he'd answered your question, he'd answered it in such a way as to give the answer he wanted to give to no matter what the question would have been. So um, I think he was a lot better at handling the press, a lot smarter with how he did it. Um, you could see the experience there. You could see the fact that he'd been to some of the biggest clubs in the world and had to deal with that uh, controversial line of question. He knew how to handle it. Um, and I think he relished the fact that he, w- he was in an environment whereby he was he was loved by supporters, but also his every word was almost ha- hung on, even though a lot of the time he didn't necessarily say that much. Um, Castle relegated. Expected? Um, well, by by February, March, yes, really. There were. I mean, there was a point where when Benitez came in, you thought, oh, th- th- this could change, Newcastle could survive. But by the time I'd take, taken this job, or a few months in this job, it became clear that Newcastle were in trouble. So I didn't expect them that previous summer when I first took the job. But by Christmas time, yeah, there was an air of inevitability about what was happening. So that summer, Benitez kind of got everything he wanted. Probably his best summer at Newcastle. Um, the players he wanted, Charlie provided him, and then we hit the we hit the start of the season, defeat the Fulham, and everything kind of you wouldn't say it came crashing down, but you kind of sitting there and thinking, goodness me, this isn't going to be as easy as maybe we all thought it was going to be. Yeah, I remember being away at Fulham. It was a very hot day. Um, Newcastle were up first on a Friday night, and really just didn't didn't quite work out for Newcastle that day. They didn't play particularly well. Um, Fulham just got the better of them. They didn't really create that many chances. And then Huddersfield, they lost at home. And Newcastle can be a very jumpy city. And really, there was nerves there. So suddenly, maybe this isn't going to work. But again, this is where you come through Benitez. That that confidence that he he maintained all along. He said, look, this is two, we're two games into a 46-game season. We will be fine. We, we've done our research. He, there was all these accusations about he'd never managed in the championship before. What's the arrogance? Why does he think he's going to take them out? He'd done all the research. He'd sourced the players he needed he'd worked out what Newcastle needed they needed a squad because of the amount of games the amount of midweek matches and uh, yes there were serious nerves on Tyneside I'm not going to lie I sat there for, after that Huddersfield game at home and thought well hang on a second I'm not actually sure this is going to have the happy end and we all hoped it did but Benitez never lost faith and they went on that 10 game or 11 game win, win and run whenever it was and once they got into the, the momentum, never never really had a period where you where you thought they're not gonna they're not gonna go up here. Did you get the feeling that Benitez was I'm not gonna say caught unaware by the championship season, but even though he'd done his research, 
there was elements of it that caught him out or would you say he was fully and he was well aware that you know it wasn't going to be a walk in the park I, I, he was certainly never underestimated but what I think the one thing that did take him by surprise is, is the how much of a step down it was from the Premier League and by that I mean in terms of off pitch things I think there was a lot of officiating decisions which really frustrated him the standard of the referee as a lot of Newcastle fans at the time commented on and Not also Forest game Nottingham Forest yeah. game for example and there was almost uh, privately he almost had it was it was bordering along a paranoia about the fact that he thought that there was almost not a conspiracy but almost a feeling that someone didn't want Newcastle United to go up someone in a high position did not want Newcastle United to go up and there was almost this feeling where he thought everything was was conspiring against Newcastle for that very reason look he never really uh, said those thoughts as it was but he, he sort of hinted at it and the fact that he, think he thought a lot of the scheduling was against Newcastle a lot of decisions a lot of officiating uh, decisions so uh, I think he underestimated that how much of a step down from the Premier League it was going to be in that regard but certainly not footballing wise I think he knew all along that every single team was going to raise the game against Newcastle because it was it was their cup final for want of a better cliche let's talk about some key games then quickly in that championship season um, I think for just for I, I don't want to say entertainment purposes I, I suppose we can look back on it now and say yeah okay yeah, especially if you're neutral you'll be like you'll be there you know thinking it was an entertaining game the Burton game at St James's Park and that refereeing decision. I mean, for you, first of all, covering it as a journalist, I know uh, we were scrapping around here, looking through the rule book, thinking how has this happened. We were storing out the live blog, doing, you know, standout stories as well, like trying to explain the rules. Um, but for you, in the moment, in the stands, I mean, first of all, how was that for you? And second of all, just explain if you can Rafa Benitez's kind of reaction instantly and then afterwards well it's one of the hardest things I've had to cover live because it was an evening game we have obviously print deadlines to get in so to work out exactly what had happened and honestly nobody in the press box as nobody in the stadium knew for that five minute period it was nearly a five minute delay as a wall trying to sort it nobody knew exactly what the decision was and why it had been given so we had to wait till half time before we went and spoke to the fourth official and got an idea of exactly what the decision was but Benitez's immediate reaction was one of shock and he was actually explaining the rules to both the fourth official and the linesman as to why you cannot rule a goal out like that you can either you can get, make them retake the penalty but you can't give a free kick for that specific reason and then there was all there was, there was all the official line about Arnold's because there was encroachment and all this sort of stuff. And basically afterwards, the PGMOL had to come out and apologise on behalf of the referee and say, look, he got it wrong. It was one of the most bizarre things I've seen in a football match. Nobody within that stadium, none of the 52,000 knew why it had been disallowed, what the exact decision was. The referee seemed to doubt himself and almost once he'd realised he'd made a mistake to try and stick by it by coming up with another reason for it and... It was it was one of the hardest things to try to cover. Then Benitez afterwards, he, he sort of was diplomatic in the sense that he said, look, we've won the game, we'll move on from it. But there was also that anger with him and that idea, as I said, that, that he felt that the officiating was a lot of the time against Newcastle in the, in the championship and they weren't getting the rub of the green when it came to decisions. And then on to the game in which Modi Army scored perhaps the most, well, I'm not going to say perhaps, the most bizarre goal of his career. Yeah, Brighton away in Newcastle were losing... Uh, going in those final, I think it was 10 minutes, and the ball loops up and, and off the army and, and goes in the top corner. And suddenly Newcastle, when they went and eventually got the winner, I think it was Perez who scored the winner, the, the, the high, they went from losing to their rivals for promotion and the championship title to suddenly winning 
at the start of a week where they then went to Huddersfield and won 3-1, who were the, the team who were in form, really pushing up the table, and then got a draw at Redden, who were another team in that top six. So really, that was the week that Newcastle confirmed that they would be going up to the 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 Premier League, and it was a it was a bizarre goal, but at the same time, it just showed the that Newcastle side, that Championship Newcastle side, just hadn't. And they knew how to win matches. They knew how to win at that level. And even when they didn't play particularly well, they found a way to win. At Huddersfield, they let Huddersfield have the ball. Were devastated on the counter attack. At Brighton, they didn't play particularly well for large spells, but they got the two goals towards the end and won the game. And at the end of the day, that's what you need to do in the championship. It wasn't about pretty football. Although there were matches along the way, the six 0 QBR when they absolutely pulverised QBR. Um, it could have been 10 quite comfortably. John Joe Shelby and Perez were phenomenal that night. But a large part for large parts of the season, Newcastle were just very efficient and ruthlessly efficient. I guess we saw how good Benitez was at man-managing kind of not just the squad, but also the fans. I know it's hard to man-manage 100,000 fans, but you, you get what I mean. Managing the fans' expectations and worries and concerns because going into that game against Ryan... Um, if you looked at it logically, Newcastle were going to go up, but there was a real fear that had they lost that game, Huddersfield would have caught them by so you know some sections of the fans were generally worried. I think they were worried that everything could crumble, um, and on top of that as well, you had the battle in January with Andros Townsend. The club wouldn't sign Townsend, um, so you had to do a balancing act. I mean, we got to see the best of Benitez off the pitch. I guess we did. I mean, there was the famous press conference where he gave the the. the tail of the line or the head of the mouse which was was is sort of interesting uh, analogy to it's a spanish sort of, of saying and basically what he was trying to say is that look it's different to being in the bottom half of the premier league your top of the of the championship here you psychologically fans and players need to have that different mentality that 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 there are going to be pressure moments and you've got to embrace the pressure and get through it and he's very good at handling that he'd been in that situation before he'd won titles in spain he's won uh, trophies everywhere he's ever been he knows how to handle that and he was trying to convey that across to his players and he's very good and as I say he has that calmness even in that situation where a lot of people are, are jumping whether it be journalists whether it be uh, fans wh- whoever it may be people may be losing their cool but Rafa Benitez is in the centre and he has that plan that he's formulated and he's confident that it'll work We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far just a quick reminder to please subscribe and review to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you listen through. On to the game against Barnsley, where Newcastle ended up actually winning the title, thanks to um, a goal by Jack Grealish in the game. I think it was Villa against Brighton, it was. Um, that was just a, a bizarre afternoon. Newcastle, obviously, we, you know, were well, well away with the three points there. But then the moment the news came through that Villa had got the goal, I think it was in the last minute... Um, of the game and everything everything changed yeah it was amazing again to be in the stadium a almost surreal moment whereby there was cheers and then the cheers just kept getting louder and louder as more people within the stadium realised that Newcastle United were, were going to win the championship title something whereby two weeks before uh, after defeat away at Ipswich it looked highly highly unlikely um, but suddenly that the, the, they followed that momentum through the end for Brighton it was almost like the ch- Promotion was the be-all and end-all. For Newcastle, promotion was the expectation. They thought 
that they were going to get promoted. They thought they should be getting promoted. And then the championship title was almost the bonus for them. They kept going till the very end. They got it. And it was a it was a great achievement. And there was the, the celebrations after the match. Benitez with the trophy, with Ashley and Charnley afterwards uh, in the executive boxes at St. James's Park. It was a wonderful afternoon, a great day to cover the football club. Positivity after the, the year before, which had been so negative, suddenly Newcastle back in the Premier League. And at that stage, even after what had happened the previous January, there was a genuine belief and a genuine hope that a positive future awaited. We'll see the picture of Benitez holding up the championship title and you know he, the first time we'd really, I think, seen him smile like that. So the question I want to ask you was, do you think we saw... Benitez at ease during the championship season or because we weren't in the Premier League it was always like he couldn't relax because he didn't want to be in the championship he knew that he wanted to be in the Premier League it's where he wanted to play his football because how, how, how did you judge Benitez did, is that what you saw did he kind of accept he was in the championship and he was going to enjoy it and then obviously the season after Premier League and he'd go from there I think he embraced the fact that in the championship, and I think he liked being in charge. Even though he was out of the the, the limelight of the Premier League, he was still a he's still a big name, and it was a big thing that he'd stayed. There was still international media attention. And I think we almost saw the best of Benitez then, because Newcastle were competing for something material, albeit it was promotion in the Championship title rather than an actual major trophy. I think that we saw the Benitez of, of when there is the chance to succeed. That is when he's at his best, and and he, he's he's ruthless in that regard. He's relentless. And that season, um, he, he planned it to perfection. He knew how to get Newcastle out of that division. He'd done his statistics. He knew that it was very hard for, for relegated teams to come straight back up, particularly automatically. But he'd worked out a plan as to how he was going to do that. He'd been backed the previous summer uh, by the club, which subsequently he will argue he wasn't. But uh, he got the resources he needed and Newcastle came up. And I think that it's just a shame because you, you saw then the winner that he is, albeit in the second tier, and Newcastle never really got to see that again from him in a material sense. Yes, he kept them up extremely well for two seasons, but really, in both those seasons, he knew that survival was going to be an achievement itself. So then we had two seasons in the Premier League, and then Benitez is obviously gone. Uh, what I want to ask you is kind of, just tell us a bit about Benitez and the press conferences, you know, are you working with him? Um, give us kind of your most interesting stories really whether they be a, a not a negative but a kind of a Benitez that he's that he's maybe the most angry you've seen him and that he's most entertaining well I mean sometimes Benitez press conferences would last a couple of hours and the reason for that is he would quite often go off the record and by that I don't mean in terms of uh, talking about Newcastle United even he would quite often have brilliant stories about Real Madrid his Napoli days um, his days at Extremadura his days at Liverpool and just fascinating to hear someone with his experience with his knowledge of football with his connections to be able to talk about dealing with Cristiano Ronaldo or when he was out in uh, in Spain and the situation everyone hears about about Craig Bellamy with the golf club and just seeing Benitez visually uh, act out some of those moments was just fantastic to see and um, he was... <laughs> He's he's great to deal with on a personal level. Very nice bloke in general, but also he he almost knows how to play the game for what I'm about to term in terms of in a press conference. He knows that journalists are there. They want to get a line. They want that they need headlines in the newspaper. They need it to present copy. So he knows that they're trying to get that, but at the same time he knows how to play it so that he isn't necessarily just going to give that across easily unless he wants a message out there. Um, in terms of uh, a few little anecdotes. 
Um, well, out in Spain, it just the February or March just gone whenever it was that, that Newcastle were out there and then eventually played against CSK in Moscow and the friendly. We went to the team hotel uh, where they were training, uh, La Finca Golf Course and Resort. Benitez came and spoke to some of us journalists for about an hour off the record before he then came back later on, spoke to us for about an hour on the record, spoke to other journalists for about an hour on the record, then went and spoke to Italian and Spanish journalists for about an hour, an hour and a half on the record. He was relaxed. He was in control of everything that was going on. Uh, He knew exactly how to keep everyone captivated for that long. And that's a skill within itself. And he's someone who just, just speaking to him, you realize the obsession he has with football, the, the, comprehension he has of the the minute details within it and it is just his, his memory his ability to just talk about a specific moment within a match uh it really is almost photographic his memory and it, it's fascinating just to listen to him now obviously towards the end of last season the big question was are you going to sign a new contract are you staying um i remember i used to fill in for yourself when you're off on holiday or sunning yourself um and the one time was there he, he said you know he, off the record he said look I understand you have to ask the question, but I'm not going to say anything. And that is kind of a, a nice little look into the way Benitez works. That, like you say, he understands that the journalists, they need to write something, they need something to put on the back page. And he was, while he was, you could argue, uh, locked down at times, he was never dismissive of the role that we have to do. No, he's not. And I think that, that what he shows is is the understanding that as journalists, we have to ask these questions the, the key thing for supporters and for the future of this football club was is Rafa Benitez going to stay so we had to ask those questions and sometimes it almost got the point where people weren't going to ask the question and then every now and again he'd give that bit of that little tidbit of information which was useful but I think that if you look at modern football, if you look at a lot of clubs and some managers now, they almost get offended by the fact that journalists ask these questions. That is our job. We have to ask those questions. If you can't answer them, excuse me, or if you're not in a position to answer them, that's different. But Benitez understands that. He understands the importance of, of journalists. And it was interesting that sometimes, particularly in the championship season, he would reference the fact that um, that the whole city needed to be behind Newcastle and he would say about the media needed to be behind Newcastle and he, he understands the importance that the media perception can give and really Benitez during his three years had almost universal support from the media as well as fans which not very many managers have had and really even during that 10 game winless run nobody really called for him to be sacked he, he knew how to keep people on side but in the way that by that, I don't mean that the people were in his pocket. I just think he was able to offer that reassurance and that that there was that mutual respect and understanding that for the mutual benefit of Newcastle United Football Club, Rafa Benitez needed to be in the position he was. And unfortunately, it was only for three and a bit years rather than the long term, as a lot of us and he hoped that it would be. Very funny character, though, wasn't he? I remember one time he came in and he started reorganising the chairs. I said, who's organised Who's organized these chairs? And started moving them about... Because again, he kind of, like you say, very personal um, and he kind of knew how to interact. Yeah, well, it's like I, I brought one time, there was well, quite often I've worked experienced people and one of them came along to one of the press conferences and I introduced him to Benitez and Benitez said, oh, well, you won't learn anything from him. Why are you hanging around from, from him for the air? Just just joking, being jovial. But he really, again, just it's a nice bloke. And it always, um, if you needed a little something done, he was always there to, to, to help. He really, really personable man as well as a very good manager. And just he just knows how to control a room. He's just got that confidence in himself and his ability and his his 
the ability to speak as well that he knows exactly the message he wants to convey and how to convey it. So towards the end then, uh, did you see a shift in, in his uh, his behaviour and his, not his personality, but in the way he was speaking, his kind of, the vocab he was using in terms of his future at Newcastle? I did, I did see a shift, but then I saw a shift back. So March sort of April, I saw a shift whereby I thought at that point it was unlikely he was going to stay. Um, he wasn't given anything really on or off the record to suggest he wanted to stay long term. He basically said he didn't see Newcastle as a project anymore. I think at that stage, it, he'd come to the conclusion himself that really there was no future at Newcastle. Whereas up till maybe February this year, I'd always thought there will be a solution in Newcastle and Benitez will sort this out. But then by the last couple of weeks of the season, noises had, noises had come from above. He'd had a few conversations with Lee Charnley and he shifted back again. And I think that he was positive. And I think even until a couple of weeks before he left, that he thought he was going to be staying. I know he's given quotes over the weekend whereby uh, he suggested that as soon as he had the meeting with Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley, he knew he was going. I, ha- I personally don't believe that was the case otherwise I think he would have come out and said that I don't think he would have left Newcastle in the position he was everyone thought until about a fortnight before everyone involved in the talks thought until about a fortnight before the end of his contract that there would be uh, talk further talks between himself and the club which in the end didn't materialise so um, yeah there was a shift but as I say there was a shift back and I think he was almost conflicted in himself because he, he so desperately wanted to be able to help Newcastle realise their potential. He, saw, he sees it as the one of the big clubs in England that he can make into the top eight side, established, win the trophy, finally get his place as a legend in the history of the club. And unfortunately, he, he just felt by the end that he wasn't in a position to do that. Well, and just to, to, to finish off then, talk us through dealing with the players. I know you're a big fan of Isaac Hayden for the week on Ducks himself, uh, both on and off the mic. Um yeah, take us take us just on the journey of kind of dealing with the players because we've gone, we've we've had quite a few over the years, for the four years you've been here. Um, so who stands out for you in terms of to deal with from a from a press point of view? As I said earlier on, Jorginho Wijnaldum in general was brilliant to deal with, and I, I found it in gen- with a lot of Dutch players that they not only are so fluent in English that it, it, it's it's really impressive. They also they come from a different culture whereby they they know that they're expected to speak to the media and so that they do and they always will. Isaac Hayden, brilliant to deal with, honest, doesn't just give the the standard line that a lot of footballers do. I always say Perez I always found was was, was excellent uh, to speak to after matches, would always front up. Same with Jamal Lascelles, who um, has really taken on the captaincy and matured over the the four years that that, that I've covered the club and I've been impressed with him and how he has moved on from that uh, there's not I can't really think of too many I really would have an issue with I think that, as I've said before that dressing room is what Benitez has done is he's, he's created a positive atmosphere in there and really uh, players do speak when they can but like like dealing with any profession there are certain people who are, who are more difficult to work with I don't necessarily want to name names because I am still going to be covering Newcastle United going forward more of that in the coming weeks and months but really I've enjoyed working with a lot of the players, particularly after that first season. It was very difficult when Newcastle were going down because as players, what can you really say when you're in that situation? And there were, there were tensions within that dressing room. Jamal Lascelles made that clear with some of the comments that he made. So that was a difficult environment to cover. But in the three years since, in the three full seasons, I've covered the club. Um, the players have been very good to deal with and uh, very quotable at times. Um, offer thoughtful 
ideas and, and, and answers and also you could just see and, and hear the respect that they had for the manager. So at this point, I think most people would go, what was your most entertaining kind of story covering your cast night over the last four years? But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you for your most bizarre, the one where you're in the pub after a few pints and you go, have you heard this funny story? Oh, that's put me on the spot a little bit. Um, just give me a second, have a little think here. I'm trying to think because it'll probably be uh, in the championship season. It probably it will probably be the Nottingham Forest away game in the championship. A covering it there and then, and just basically again it was a nighttime match. So much was going on. We didn't have replays in the press box. Everyone at home was watching it on Sky, so we had to try and piece together exactly what was happening within a match where there were so many controversial incidents. But then in the two in the days that followed, actually on this, so I think it was a Friday night. On the Sunday. I wasn't in the, I wasn't meant to be working at first, but then there was various holidays and basically uh, there was a cock up in terms of the rotor. So I was going down to York for the day to go to a Christmas market and um, I had to cover the fact that Newcastle United were appealing again. I got a phone call as I was on the train on the way down, a packed train, saying that uh, from someone telling me that Newcastle were going to appeal both red cards from that game. So that was Dummett and Shelby and I could see no way that the Shelby one would have been overturned. In the end, it was. But at the time, I was I was trying to have this conversation of the phone going in and out of signal. Like, what the heck is going on here? At the same time, when I was going on before about the potential paranoia uh, that Benitez had sort of in the championship where he, he almost thought that there was a conspiracy theory going on, I had a phone call from someone else basically saying to me that Benitez was having these feelings. Was there any way that a message could be conveyed out there that uh, really it's Newcastle against the rest of the championship. I didn't share those same views, so I basically had to get the message back that I wasn't going to write something along those lines. I was quite happy to to, to give my opinions in general on that match, but I wasn't going to necessarily get that message out about there the, the almost being this idea that the Premier League are against Newcastle United. Also that weekend, Ian Cathro, um was, was heavily linked with leaving Newcastle. He subsequently did. But all of this I was trying to do as I was... Uh, I got to a Jamie Oliver's restaurant in uh, York when I first got there and then was at the Christmas market and I kept having to get my laptop out and file little lines from that. So just the bizarre uh, workings of a journalist there sometimes whereby you, you've thought you've got the weekend off but given that there's never a quiet day at Newcastle United, uh, you have to be ready for some bizarre stories and to file them from wherever you are at that moment in time. Absolutely. Then this is the final question then. In your time, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen three. I'm going to do this in, in a bit. Come on, three serious bidders from Newcastle United, and Mike Ashley still owns the club. Surprised? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that, um, and I know a lot of people say he isn't a genuine seller. I do think that if if the money was there, I think that now he's at a stage whereby I think he would sell. But no, just because after having dealt with the first bid from Amanda Stavely and PCP Capital Partners, it's very difficult to buy a club. And even if you have the money or even if you have the wherewithal to actually get through that process can be a difficult and complicated one. And until Newcastle United are actually sold, and I hope that is in the not-too-distant future, until they are actually sold, I'm going to remain sceptical about any takeover bid that ever comes in. Once you've dealt with it once... I think that it's healthy to have that scepticism until it actually happens. And even when it does happen, we need to know a lot more about the potential bidders. And I think we've known about any of the three really serious ones in terms of the money they have, 
the ideas they have for the club going forward and the actual investment they have because sometimes there is the argument the devil you know I remember when Mike Ashley first came in that first year he was he was welcomed at the club and, and there was a lot of positive noises and he himself was on the terraces and, and really excited didn't work out that way let's hope that the next owner offers a far more positive future than you can fingers crossed well there you have it the last ever podcast everything is black and white podcast I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed your four years here Chris I have very much so